this morning I'm going to read from Isaiah 45. Verse 1, it says, Thus, thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. Here, here's a king, he's not even Jewish, he's not a Jew, and God's using him for his, for his purpose and for his people's sake. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, meaning he's just being used by God, whether he knew it or not, <laughs> to Cyrus, whose right hand I am holding, to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two leave gates, and the gates will not be shut. Reminds us of Matthew 16, verse 18, when, Christ, uh, when, when Peter, well, when Christ asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? He asked them that first. Who do men say that I am? And, and Matthew 18, 15, 16, and then through 18. And then he asked them, who do you say that I am? So those are two questions. Who do, who do others say that we are? Uh, who, does, who does other people say that I am, and do you go by that? Versus who do you say I am? And of course, Peter, Peter pipes up like he normally would do. He said, you are the Christ, you are the anointed one, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Christ said to him, well, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you but my Father which is in heaven. And then he said, and upon this rock, the rock that is that he is himself, Peter was never that rock. He, he said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. All the strength of all hell coming against anyone that, that is my church will not prevail. So it says, in verse uh, four, in Isaiah 45, verse 2, it says, I will go before you. And for us as Christians, there's not a single place that God would call us to that he hasn't already gone before us. In other words, every single thing that happens to us in time as, uh, uh, as who we are in Christ was predetermined in eternity. <laughs> he had a plan in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Um, he had a plan. He said, I will go before you and make the crooked places straight, things that just don't seem to make sense or all those questions we may have. And it's like Jadiel was saying, he said to how God, how God himself had sent him here because yeah, God sent him here because this is a place that God had already prepared in his mind and in that sense went before him as he does for us. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight, even for those that mean things to be against you, that come against Christ in you. Because in John 15, 18, if they hated you, you know they hated him first. And uh, the enemy hates who we are in Christ because Christ is in us. We wouldn't be in him <laughs> uh, if he hadn't first given himself before us and in that sense gone before us. Then it says, I will break in pieces the gates of brass, all those things that would be resistant towards us. And when we look at Revelations, the first chapter, in, in the 14th verse, when it's speaking of Christ and what he would, what he, what he would appear as, as the best that he could to men, it said his feet 
were burnt like like they were in a in a in a furnace of brass. His feet were as brass, and that would speak of him taking all of that judgment and all of that that would come to us. He took that, and that's why he will break in pieces the gates of brass. The enemy trying to resist us. That's why it says for us in First Corinthians fifteen and fifty eight. And he says, be steadfast, be steadfast, no matter what, be steadfast, be immovable, be immovable, for you know that your work in the Lord is not in vain. Just keep going, keep doing it, and keep trusting him. He said, I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in the sunder the bars of iron, all those things that would come against to resist us. And then he said this, something we don't normally, we would never choose on our own. It's very interesting, as I've talked with Mike, about certain things that I'm, I get involved in. And we do that, Mike and I, on, on these Mondays. We just go back and forth and, 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 and share just what God has been doing in our, in our hearts. And in certain situations and circumstances, of, of completely opposed to the natural, he told Peter, he said to Peter, remember when he approached Peter, he, he approached him in John the 21st chapter, and they were all backslidden. They all forsook him in Matthew 26, 56. They forsook him, but he was waiting on the shore for them. This he's always doing in Isaiah 30, verse 18. He's waiting, he's waiting to be gracious, and so to grace us out with his love. And so, something we wouldn't normally do. Now, he, he kept saying to Peter, and he said it in three, time, three times, he said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, in John 21, 15 to 17. But Peter, at that point, he was living, he wasn't living in what and who Christ had made him to be. He was, he was living under the condemnation and guilt of his sins, especially what he did in forsaking his master. But that's where he was living, and as a result, he went out there all night, it says. They were, all out, they were out there at night doing what they normally did. They went back. If we're not going forward with him and trusting, we go back and we go back to the natural. They went back to the natural. They went back to fishing. Because in Matthew uh, 4 and verse 17, in Mark 1 and verse 17, he said, follow me, at 4.19, I guess, in, Ma- in Matthew 4. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. But through their guilt and condemnation and failure, they went back. And they were out fishing all night. They didn't catch anything. <laughs> they were out there all night. It doesn't do us any good to go back to the natural in our thinking. And that's what the enemy would cause us to do. And that's how he can bring in all kinds of fear and guilt and condemnation. But then he said this. He said, after he said it to Peter three times, can you a picture? I mean, only Christ could, could be the one that could, could say that because he was the one that did everything for Peter and for you and I that none of us could do. He did all of that for him. He did every single bit of that for him. And, that, and three times, and in, in here he is in this backslidden state. He hasn't even asked him, did you repent yet? He didn't bring up one of his failures. All he said was, do you love me? Do you love me? And each time he, he'd say, do you love me more than these? And we shared it, I think, last week sometime, the these, 
uh, some commentators and some men that I've studied over the years, they would say, these are the fish. Do you love me more than these? Or these could be the other disciples. But what I think, and I believe, and God gave me this, I'm sure he's given it to others, but he gave it to me many years ago, that these were all his sins and failures. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than all your sins, all your faith, your failure, all your guilt and condemnation? Because my love in Romans 8, 1, being in Christ, they're done away with. Do you love me more than these? And then each time, you know, Peter would answer him with phileo, not with agape, self-sacrificial love. See, the enemy wants to get us to focus when we're in, especially when we're in trial and when we face dark, dark issues, dark situations and circumstances. He always wants us to focus on, now, do you love him? Do you love the Lord? When the, the issue always truthfully is, he loves us. And of course, we know it's obedience. Obedience is our love returned to him who first loved us in 1 John 4 and verse 19. So in each of those times, when those first two times, when he would ask him, do you love me more than these? And he would answer him with phileo, and really is, I have an affectionate love for you. It, it falls short of the self-sacrificial love that you love me with, but nevertheless, Christ recognized that. Even, he even recognized it in Martha, by the way. Even in, when she, in Luke 10, 38 to 42, even when she was still irritated, she did invite him into her house. She loved him and had an affection for him, and he recognized that. But he did say, Martha, Martha, you are troubled. You're, you're very troubled about many things. You're troubled about many things. But, but Mary has, you know, she was sitting at Jesus' feet, sitting at Jesus' feet, constantly receiving that self-sacrificial love. See, that's true service has nothing to do with self. It's, it's a self-sacrificial love. It's agape love. And so the second time in 21, in verse 16 of John, he asked him again. And he answered him again with phileo love. The third time he said it, he said it in the 17th verse, when he said that to him, he said, you know all things, Lord. You do. I know that you know, because I do, my love falls short of where it should be. It falls short, but you know all things. And then every single time Jesus answered him, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Because he knew in Peter's life, like ours, in Luke 22 and 31 and 32, he said to him, Simon, Simon, Peter, Peter, we can put our name in. Satan has desired, begged of me, the original says, and gotten my permission to sift you as wheat because I'll use him to separate the self-life that's in you, the shaft where there's nothing good in that, to separate from who you are in your own proper image and who you are in Christ, the wheat. That's why Jesus said it in John 12 and verse 24. He said, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it'll abide. it abides alone. But if it dies, it it'll bring forth much fruit. And that is Christ. And he was speaking of the cross. And the, it's always the cross. Even back as far as Genesis 3 and verse 15, it's the cross. 
And we're gonna, we'll see, we'll see by the time we get to Philippians, the second chapter. We'll see it in a beautiful way about that cross and how it spelled out the most perfect, complete obedience. But then he said to him, Peter, those three times, you feed, you feed my sheep, feed, I feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And then he said this to Peter, and I'll read this in John 21. And this is, the, this is what we'll get to here. In John 21, in verse 18, it says, Truly, truly, I say unto you. And he speaks that to each one of us that are his. But he's speaking this to Peter here and saying, When you were young, you girded yourself. You, you, through, even through the scriptures, thought you were in control of yourself. And you walked wherever you would. As a born-again man, you would. You would do that. But when you are old, oh, some of the things that he does and the things that he uses when we're old. He said, when you are old, you will stretch forth your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you would not. <laughs> and oh, how many places he brings us to that, that just go right against the natural. Things that we would fear, things we would doubt, things we would run away from. But that's why in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, absolute dependence, and not by our feelings, not by sight, not by natural understanding, because in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14, the natural man receives not. He's not interested in grace. He's too busy thinking only about himself and what he thinks he can do or she can do. And so when he said, another's going to carry you to a place where you would not. And this is Isaiah 45 in verse 3 where it says this. I will give you the treasures of darkness. I mean, how many of us would ever think that there would be treasures in the most darkest circumstance and situation? Naturally, it would cause us fear, doubt, worry. We'd run from it as Run from it. But he has a way of putting us in a place where, in his love, there's no escape but in him and through him. I'll give you the treasures of darkness, it says, in hidden riches of secret places. You know, there's things that God has in each of our life. And in that sense, they are, they're secret. And I think, at times, I think those can be the deepest things. They're so deep. They're so deep. And they're very, very, they're very, very secret things. And, I, you know, again, in Psalm 25 and verse 14, the secret of the Lord is with them that reverence him and trust him. And we're brought to that deep place. And there's a depth, and that depth of those secret places where maybe no one else knows what you're going through or what, what is involved in the depth of what you're going through. And, and maybe some would think, and I, I think I shared this just recently too also, sometimes when, when, we, when others, we ask them to pray about a certain thing, it's very interesting how much we will trust God for something that we, someone else asks us to pray for and seems so small, but it could be a huge secret thing in them in terms of what God's doing in them. And of course, it's always a preparation to, for a greater humility, to have a greater manifestation of the grace and truth of Christ coming through that individual. But he said, I, I will give you the treasures of darkness. 
He meets us in these dark places. We wouldn't dream of going there, but he carries us there. And those secret places, and those secret places, the depth of those secret things, they're so deep. They were so deep. Those go into the hidden manna where we fe feasted on him, hidden secret manna in Revelations 2 and verse 17, where we, we had to feast on him because he put us in a place where we couldn't rely on anything other than him. And that went into the white stone. The white stone would be the name that he would etch for all eternity in their image, their true image. And a white stone in Revelations 2 and verse 17 that only he, Christ, who gave that stone, and only he who received it would have that depth of fellowship for all eternity. And so, he said that I will give you the treasures of darkness, hidden riches of secret places that you may know. Notice that, that you may know. You know, as far as men of God that I could see, I've never seen in a far, far gap between Christ and the Apostle Paul, let's face that one, because we know where he was headed till Christ interrupted his, his selfish career, his self-occupation, self-determination, self-preservation. He interrupted it. He interrupted him. And we know that, but I know that in terms of the Scriptures and what I see in terms of the Scriptures, as far as just a frail, weak man, boy, to God, use that man. He used him because he, empty, he so emptied him and he so filled him with Christ and he was just like his new master. See, his old master and his self-occupation was the enemy, of course, and some thinking that they could serve two masters, which we can in Matthew 6 and verse 24. But he said that you may know. Think of how he used the Apostle Paul, everything that he went through. Read 1 Corinthians 11th chapter. When you read... 11th and 12th chapters, when you read those and, and uh, the things that that man endured and what he went through, I don't see another human being, of course Christ, far above him in his own humanity, where no man could ever go. But as far as a weak, frail servant, boy, what, they, what that man went through. Three huge missionary journeys. He's, his life was in constant peril. They were seeking to kill him because now he was manifesting Christ in himself, the vessel, and, and just like they sought to kill Christ. Just think of how, many, how much he used this man when he finally got a hold of him, and that still he had to chain him to a Roman guard at his age, and he was approximately 67 years of age. We've said before, approximately 35 years of age in Acts, the ninth chapter, when he met Christ a Christ met him, I should say, and interrupted him, thank God, for our sakes. And what he did for him, boy, he certainly did for our sakes, didn't he? And uh, that's why it's the same way for each of us as a joint in Ephesians 4.16 and that supply of Christ that we have for each other. But from that time that he was changed now, and uh, Philippians 3 and verse 9, He's about 67 years of age, and he had to be chained still, still. And he said that, and the Holy Spirit said it through him, but he knew it experientially, that he wouldn't be found in his own righteousness. <laughs> Why, he said, 
Because when I'm not found in my own righteousness, everything's about self. Everything. Every circumstance, every situation, every plan, every thought in Genesis 6, 5, in Genesis 8, in verse 22, every single thought in Roman, in Psalm 10, verse 4, and in Psalm 50, verse 21, every thought is self. <laughs> he said, I don't want to be found in my own righteousness because I can still slip into it experientially. But he said, when, I, when I'm not found in my own righteousness. And the only place I can find that is that I may know him in Philippians 3.10. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, how he can take me above every single circumstance and situation experientially in a present supernatural reality. And then he said, and then he had to go deeper. And I think he went as far as a human Frail, not Christ. He went so deep. He said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Look what it says. The fellowship of his sufferings. And do you know that for each of us, for each one of us, this is what it says here, and I'll read this particular scripture here. This is what it says in, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 28. And this is very comforting to me. I don't know about you. But in Philippians 1, in verse 28, it says, And nothing terrified by your adversaries. Oh, how he wants to terrify us through being self-occupied and forgetting Christ who's so for us. And nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition. They can't do anything else. They're going to, they're, they're headed to, to the lake of fire. They can do nothing about it but to you of salvation, your deliverance, and that of God. Verse 29, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ and for the sake of Christ, not only to believe on him and to trust him for everything, but also to suffer for his sake. To suffer for his sake. Did you ever ask God, well, geez, I did a mistake, but my God, or... or you know, what, what, what did I do to deserve this? <laughs> this is the answer. Why well, I think it's strange is that when that fiery trial tries you as though it's some kind of foreign thing when we should understand in 1 Peter 4.12 and in Colossians 1 and verse 24, we're filling up in our bodies, not only believing and depending and fellowshipping in a depth of intimacy, but also filling up the sufferings in us that would have gone on, continued on him had he not risen for our sake and gone to heaven to intercede for us. And so as we wrap this up this morning, he said, I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know, that you may know. You. You. You may know, each of us individually, that I, the Lord, which call you by your name. See, that's the name. That's Revelations 2 and 17. It's a new name. New name, formed in you and I by the very character of Christ, made ours in our own individuality to fellowship with him for all eternity. He call you by name, and not just the God of Israel, and we have him in such a higher way, uh, such a higher intimacy. And then we'll just read these scriptures, and we'll, we'll begin to stop. 
in, in, and this is for us in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, if there be any consolation in Christ, if and there is, by the way. It's first class fulfilled. If and there is. Is. There is. Consolation in Christ. Has he consoled us? If any comfort of love. And there is. If any bowels and mercies, any tender, compassionate mercies of God towards us, and there is, then fulfill my joy. This is, this is God the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. Fulfill you my joy that you, you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, emptiness, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not on every man his own things. So easy to do, isn't it, when we forget Christ? But, all, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being God himself, just being the very begotten, eternal Son of God in John 1, verse 18, who being God himself did not think that manifestation of his glory a thing to be held onto and grasped at all times. But look what it says. To be equal with God, and he always was in his deity. See, he never, he never stopped being deity the whole time he functioned in humanity. He just laid it, the out, he just laid it aside. That's brought out in John the 13th chapter. In those first... Seven, six verses there. It's brought out beautifully. He laid aside those garments, the outward manifestation, and he put on himself a servant, a slave's towel, and he began to wash their feet in 13.7 of John. And he counted it a privilege to do so. Next time that we have dirty feet or we need to confess in 1 John 1, 9, we need to just give him that. He, he considers it worthy of himself to do so. We may not think we're worthy, but he considers himself worthy to do it. And so, but made himself, chose it, agreed to put on the very Son of God in John 1, verse 1 and 2, the same in, the, in eternity with God, put on that humanity in John 1 and verse 14, clothed himself. The Greek says he tabernacled his glory in humanity. And there was no beauty in him, by the way. In Isaiah 53 and verse 2, there was no physical outward beauty in him that he would use to attract others. But those that he did get a hold of, his love and grace did get a hold of, they saw his glory coming out. Just like the tabernacle, all through the wilderness, in Numbers, the 10th chapter, in the book of Numbers, all the way through, that tabernacle, before, that tabernacle, before it became a temple, through the wilderness on their way to their promised land, and that's where the, ta the tabernacle would, would be erected. Uh, uh, the, uh, the temple would be erected, but the tabernacle on their way in the wilderness was covered with all kinds of animal skins. Nothing to look at outwardly. No beauty. But boy, you'd go in there, and the way that it was so designed, it was beautiful, gold and silver and 
beautiful colors inwardly. And this would be speaking of and fulfilling in John 1 and verse 14 in Isaiah 53, verse 2. It says, but he made himself of no reputation. Oh, the reputation we want to have, don't we? In the natural, in the self-life. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a slave, the lowest. No human being could ever go or ever did go as low as the Son of God. That's why to think any kind of self-righteous works at all, to think that God would need another human being who could not do, ever, go any lower than his Son went to bring us to the heights. And was made, it says, in the habit. When it says likeness here, again, he never had a sin nature in Hebrews 4 and verse 15. Never had a sin nature. He had a human nature. And the human nature was bypassed in Luke 1 and verse 35, was bypassed by the Holy Spirit in the mother's womb. And that's why the blood of the baby is even separate from the, the mother's blood. His blood was pure. Not like us now, though. But the old sin nature in Romans 5.12 is passed on. But when it says likeness here in Philippians 2.7, the habit of men. His first 30 years were in total, total obscurity. That's why they even said when he did miracles. It's very interesting when you read Matthew 13 and verse uh, 55 where it says, is not this the carpenter's son? We know his sisters. We know all his natural family. Who is this man speaking things like this? You know why? It says because he went to his own country. Then he said, a prophet will never be received. You have family problems? <laughs> You're not going to be received. There's no receiving the supernatural image about who we are in Christ. It has anything to do with the natural ourselves or other natural family members. Not that we don't love them and pray for them. He was made in the habit of men. 30 years in obscurity as a carpenter. And being found as fashion as a man, he humbled himself. <laughs> Jeez. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross Wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of, of things in heaven, things on the earth, and things under the earth, heaven, earth, and hell, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the true Lord, true Master, to the glory of God the Father. And when it's talking about this, everything that Christ did, first and foremost, was it to pay for sins, was it to crucify it, it, the old nature in, in believers in Romans 6, 1 through 6? Was it to pay for all their sins? First, it was all about obedience. Did you know that? I saw in a beautiful way this morning. Even, the result of his obedience was that our sins were paid for. But it was a pure obedience to his Father and his humanity, being the very creation of God. It was God, the Holy Spirit, who created his humanity and being found as a man. In that creation, he humbled himself in obedience, just plain old obedience, beautiful obedience. The cross always speaks of that. 
It speaks of obedience. And that's the life that we have now, the life that we need to submit to. And then the flow of that love life and obedience will flow in us as we submit our wills to him. And uh, it was all about obedience. Yes, sins, our sins were paid for and the old man crucified. We're a brand new creature in 2 Corinthians 5.17 because our sins are dealt with and there's no condemnation in Romans 8.1. But it was pure obedience, first and foremost, to his father. And that's why even in the type in Genesis 22 and verse 8, 22 and verse 8, he said, Abraham said to his son Isaac, uh, Isaac asked his father Abraham, he said, where, where is the sacrificial lamb? Where's the sacrificial uh, animal in type? And then Abraham answered him. He said, my son, he said, God will provide himself a sacrifice because he knew he could do that. And that's what dealt with the sin question in John 1, 29. That's not sins. That's why not the sins of every single human being are paid for. The sin question is dealt with in obedience. Because if Christ hadn't been obedient, first and foremost, whose sins would have been dealt with? He wouldn't have been a proper sacrifice, would he? He chose to do that. That's what Philippians is bringing out. We choose to do that. That's why love is in the will. That's why in 1 John 4.10, herein is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son, the propitiation for our sins. It doesn't say for all there, does it? No, it says for our sins, all those in Christ, in John 1, 1 through 4, and all in Christ. Only those that are in Christ can confess their sins in 1 John 1, 9. We need to, we need to receive a Savior to have those sins forgiven, but it's only based on his obedience in making himself the lowest human being, the height of the sun and God became the very lowest human being ever. And uh, just think of what he endured, first for his father in obedience, but in, in, as they joined together in his love for you and I, what he went through. That's why we can trust him. That's why we can trust in him for everything, the dark times. He's the same, he's the same on, in the sunny days, and he's the same on the darkest days that there are. In the, in, in the days of, of the projection and lies of the enemy, who says, fear, fear on every side, Jeremiah 20, verse 10, and it's dark, he's the same. Because he's the same. In Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same for your yesterday, for your today, your present and for all eternity. That's his love for us. That's what his love's accomplished for us. Our, we know that he loves us. How do we know that we love him? It's in obedience, and obedience is in our will, just as much as sin is. But obedience and love received is in the will given back to him. And so, Lord, we thank you this morning for your word, for each person here, for your faithfulness, and uh, thank you for continuing to intercede for us. You have given us two comforters in John 14, 16, and 17. You, Christ, intercede for us in Romans 8, verse 34. You're interceding for us 
in Hebrews 7.25 and in Hebrews 9 and verse 24. You have given us the Holy Spirit while we're on earth and you're in heaven. You've given us the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us in Romans 8 verse 26 when we can't even put what we're going through in a language. But you do understand the language of the groaning of tears because you cried them, not like we cry tears. Sometimes in, we cry tears for our failures. We do, and it's good to call, to, to call out to him. And, and, and it's good to make him our expectation in Psalm 62.5 and 62.8, to pour out our hearts. He cried tears in Hebrews 5, 7, and 8, but he never, ever cried a tear for himself, ever. Not one time. He never, ever sought a thing for himself, ever. He never had a thought for himself, Ever. And we're so thankful for that. We will reap the reality of it, and we can do it even now, but for all eternity. We thank you, Lord, for this kind of love. In Jesus' name, amen.